Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. Uh, we are joined by our panel to discuss some of the stories in this morning's newspapers. Now, I was in accused last Sunday of conducting my panel like a courtroom, so I've invited some legal experts <laughs> to help me with my interpretations and interrogations. It's a great pleasure to welcome him, uh, a senior counsel, a former Labour TD and Minister for Communications, Energy and Natural Resources, now back as a counsellor on Donnellyer, he rat down. Alex, I was going to congratulate you for enjoying life after politics. Well, I was enjoying it, but um, I found addicted. myself. I found myself. I just found myself back in Dunleary Ratdown Chamber a couple of weeks ago. There, I don't know how it happened, but there it is. You know, I'm back in the game, and I'm looking forward to it. And people listening to the program this morning, you're driving around Silorgan, will see my poster up for a meeting we're having on Monday evening. You're so at I better it explain again. Myself, you you're know. at I'm it back. again. Well, we're also joined by long-serving barrister, a man who had a life before politics, and Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin Bay South. Their spokesman on Justice Jim O'Callaghan, earning a lot less now. I would have thought. Thanks very much, Ivan. Yeah, well, I suppose your life shows that one can have a life after politics as well, so... Guilty as charged. Okay, um... And someone without any legal constraints or political baggage. She's the Honorary Professor of Economics at Trinity College Dublin, a former director at the ESRI, no less, and one of those appointed, most interestingly, by the Scottish First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, to advise their government on the implications of Brexit. Francis Rouen, you're most welcome. Can we attack uh, academics as well as the judiciary? I think you could always attack academics, you can attack any profession, but I think what the uh, academics have, which the, the, the uh, lawyers, I think, have to deal with, is, is ways of appointing them that are actually stand up to robust testing. But we'll come back to okay. that later, We'll take your word for that. Uh, let's take a quick flash through the front pages of the front papers. The Sunday Independent lead with a probe of their own um, in relation to people in private nursing homes. Secret cost of nursing home fees is revealed. This is things like social activities beyond medical and care activities where extra charges. Well, apparently the Office of the Ombudsman has ruled against it, where there was 200 a month, uh, and uh, that may open up hope for others face with similar bills. The Sunday Business Post goes with a different story revealed how 200 high rollers are facing a tax bill of 500 million. This was a tax scheme of up to a million of investment. Uh, so it's a who's who of business people but they're not named. Also a profile interview at Dick Spring doesn't give many interviews and more about the AIB flotation. The Sunday Times has Garda representative body pays thousands in holiday gifts. Oh dear, it's just not um, Templemore. GRA files reveal hospitality and expenses bill. That's under the byline of John Mooney. And Seething Ross took coalition to the brink of collapse. Very interesting story. We hope to talk to John Halligan about that. Could the government have collapsed last Sunday over the rushed appointment to the Oris last Monday? And the mail on Sunday leads with FG Women. Leo, the liberal, in quotes, is just a veneer. Extraordinary attack by Fine Gael female TDs on their new leader, but a smiling Leo uh, being kissed on both cheeks by women, no less, at the Gay Pride yesterday. Uh, lots of colour uh, in the city. Let's let's start talking about the Whelan affair. Alex, you served in Cabinet uh, with her. Is she a woman of unique ability? 
I think she's a woman of considerable ability. Um, I served in Cabinet uh, for two years. Prior to that, I was in the Department of Health and I was doing some very complex uh, changes on, for example, free GP care and how it would be allocated and so on. I found her excellent in that. Her advice was was first class. Uh, So, uh, and then throughout government in terms of the department, legislation, uh, various projects we were involved in as a department, I found her advice and assistance first class. And did you did you realise how wily she was at um, kind of not saying things to the jab and kind of dealing with her own career? Well, I don't know what's I don't know what's been happening in recent months because, as you know, I've been out of politics and just recently returned, but at a different level. So I don't I've been following events that closely in recent months, but I don't think the process of of that appointment uh, reflects well on anyone. Uh, I think it was it, it was poorly done. I think it was very unfortunate to what say the least. What aspect of it? Well, the fact that it either was or certainly looked very rushed. It was a last-minute decision uh, of that government. I think that was wrong. I think that when you're going to appoint a judge uh, to, to the Court of Appeal, no matter who he, he or she is, it has to command a level of public confidence. And I think there's a real risk, or there was a risk, that the way that this was done last week or the week before undermines that. And I think that's a real pity. Uh, and as I say, I don't think it reflects well on pre- pretty much anyone uh, uh, politically uh, in the system uh, uh, or else, or, or otherwise. So I think that that's that's a pity. And what did you make of Peter Kelly's comments on Friday night, which um, we don't have the full yeah. text, and it was at a private dinner, but he seemed to be saying in relation to the next piece of legislation that will revise the appointment pro- process, that will get lay people, civilians involved in appointing and the oversight of judges. D- do you think he was being a bit precious there? Um no, I don't think he was being precious. And I'll tell you, uh, knowing... Well, I meant, is Judge anyone Kelly, entitled to slag the judiciary? would not be a characteristic that I, was associ- that I would associate with him. And I think that, you know, the criticism of this bill is well made, actually. I think that the notion that this bill, or what, I've, what I know of it, uh, is going to, you know, uh, change, uh, you know, as Minister Ross seems to think, what is a, a, effectively a rotten system, as he seems to think it is, that is going to reverse all of this terrible patronage that he thinks is, is, is happening everywhere, I think is bogus. Um, I think I think there's been a lot of posturing on this issue, um, in, particularly by Shane Ross, but by others as well. I don't agree with the elements of the new bill. I think the system does need to be reformed, as I said already. Um, and I think, you know, people should be interviewed for appointment to the bench. Uh, whether that should be in public or not, I'm not sure, but they should be interviewed. And the idea of, you know, loads of names coming to government, uh, I think was a bit a bit odd. So fewer names, certainly I agree with. But I don't see the point. Nobody's ever really actually made the case publicly to me as to why it should be a lay majority. Like why? Like pe- people who are in, you know, who are who are judges or who are lawyers can identify and can and, and can see the strengths of people who, who are looking to be appointed to the bench. They understand that. I have no objection that are being lay people on, but I don't understand. I think this, this sort of posturing that, oh, we'll have more lay people there and it'll, be, it'll change things. and it'll, I mean, it'll be the same people applying for appointment to the bench. It'll be lawyers applying for appointment to the bench. That's not going to change. So I, I just have my doubts. I think there's a huge amount of posturing and nonsense uh, in relation to it. Yes, it should be reformed. But the idea that this bill... I mean, what happened last week was that Shane Ross was apparently told by the Taoiseach that the bill would, be, would now be expedited in return for his annoyance or seething or whatever it is that he's been to describing a base, this morning. Yeah. Like, for God's sake, this is no way to do business. Definitely it needs to be reformed, but I think it's been done in a way that's, you know, been quite... I think, you, you know, it does, again, it's not something that reflects well on, on the people okay. involved. Well, we'll come on to the, the new bill in a moment, uh, Jim Callan. But firstly, let's take a listen to your leader in the dawn. 
Marta Whelan, Marta Whelan is no Frank Clark, is no Adrian Hardiman, and is no Don Ladon. Right? And Taoiseach, you strain, you strain credibility, you strain credibility by putting her in the same league as the individuals that you've named. Jim O'Callaghan, as a member of the bar, as a member of the law library, do you not acknowledge that Micheál Martin crossed a line there? No, I don't acknowledge that. And actually, you should have played the part prior to Micheál Martin speaking in the Dáil last week, because what happened prior to that was that the Taoiseach stood up and he referred to the names of Adrian Hardiman, Donald O'Donnell and Frank Clark. And the reason he referred to them was he said he was comparing the appointment of um, Ms Justice Whelan to those individuals. And it was a completely inappropriate comparison. And the reason it was completely inappropriate was because both Adrian Hardiman and Donald O'Donnell had gone through the Judicial Appointments Advisory Board process before they were nominated for appointment to the Supreme Court. So they were not comparable to the criticisms that we had about the appointment of Ms Justice Whelan. And when you look at the appointment of Mr Justice Frank Clark, that wasn't comparable either, because he wasn't an Attorney General. So you stand time. over the comments? He's, uh, he was absolutely entitled to make those comments. But can I say this to you? I don't like the idea that there is a political controversy about a judicial appointment. I don't think it's good for our politics. You know that we haven't had one of these political controversies about a judicial appointment for 23 years. Since Harry Whelan. In fact, you were the beneficiary of that the last time. The Rainbow Coalition. It resulted in you coming into government. And so it is highly unusual in our political system for there to be a row about an individual judicial appointment. But by God, when there's a row, it's a proper one. You're right about that. But let's, let's look to see what was the cause of this row. The cause of this row was that the government did not go through the process that every judge appointed in the past 20 years has gone through, with the exception of okay. two. Namely, they applied to the judicial appointment. In fairness, Jim, report. we've had about 10 days of that, and I, I happen to agree with you, so I want to move on. I want to talk to you about a specific point you made, which was that those shenanigans and your dissatisfaction with those was in breach of the confidence and supply agreement. No. If you were a barrister and someone said to you, I have this contract here and it's the Supply and Confidence Agreement, just tell me how it breached the terms and conditions as a contract would. Yeah. In the Confidence and Supply Agreement, there's a clause which says that there shall be no policy surprises. You're aware of that, that Fine Gael will not introduce any policy surprises. The fact that they reversed government policy that has applied over the past 20 years in respect of a judicial appointment was a policy surprise. That's why I say it was a breach of the Confidence and Supply Agreement. However, the fact of the... Oh, sorry, just stop right there. Ergo, you should vote against it and vote against the government. But we, we Using are, your own logic. Well, not absolutely. If you want to play the role of the, the lawyer, we can go down the route as to whether or not it's a repudiatory <laughs> breach of an agreement or not. We don't need to go there. <laughs> Fortunately, I included a clause at the end of the Confidence and Supply Agreement which says it's not justiciable. I know my colleague yeah. uh, Billy Kelleher gets great no. entertainment out of this, but can I say this to you? It doesn't... The, the politics of it... No, I wasn't are, talking from a legal point. I'm talking from a political point. Like, and my point is the same as, as we go on to discuss about the Garda Commissioner. Is there not a difficulty for you Jim O'Callaghan, as just a spokesman on the front line of this issue, that you create a hiatus about something, albeit well-grounded or less well-grounded, and then you kind of have to raise both guns and then you kind of have to put them back in your holster again. Is it not? Is it not? Like, you're wide open to the charge that you're barking but not biting. OK, but Ivan, if we adopt that approach, it would mean that Fianna Fáil can't raise any 
issue in opposition to the government unless we're prepared to press the nuclear button. In the so you now have and the I view don't... that this is over, that the confidence and supply agreement won't be jeopardised by this episode? Well, of course it has been damaged by it. There's no doubt about that. Like, you don't have to be a, a relationship a psychologist to realise that this has damaged the relationship between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. However, you know... What does that mean? It means that there's... Does it mean been, we're going to have an autumn it, election? What does it mean? So I know everyone in the media is obsessed with just getting to the quick question. When are we going to have an election? Why don't we have an election now? No, that wasn't my question. What uh, does it mean? If there's bad relations, what does it mean? Well, it means that there's damaged trust between the parties. I think it was a bad start by Leo Varadkar's new government. I think they shouldn't have pushed through at this appointment one day after there was the phone call between Michal and uh, Leo Varadkar in respect to the issue. I think it was unusual to have the appointment made within a week of the nomination. So it it has affected the relationship. But obviously we're not in a relationship with each other as though we're dating with each other. We're an opposition party. We stand up for our principles. The issue has now moved on to the Judicial Appointments Commission Bill, which the government are going to introduce into the Dáil next week. It's a bad piece of legislation. We'll be voting against it. However, people have got to realise, Ivan, can I just say this? People have got to realise, Fianna Fáil, we have 44 voting members in Dáil Éireann. We do not dominate Dáil Éireann. There are other people in Dáil Éireann outside of government and Fianna Fáil who have a responsibility in respect to this issue as well. All we can do is put forward our views as to why we say this legislation is wrong. We also seek to hold the government to account. Just on the substantive issue there, like um, Alex critiqued the legislative bill. What's your problem with the bill? I'll give you three reasons. First of all, it is establishing a costly and a large quango for the purpose of advising government on uh, individuals who should be appointed to judicial office. What is the point in spending all this money on a huge quango when at present it's been done for minimal costs, relatively effectively, by the Judicial Appointments Advisory Board, which just needs to be slightly tweaked? Second, the majority of people on this new uh, board are going to be lay members. Now, I just think we have to be careful. If there was a position here going for producer of your radio programme, you would surely want people on the interview panel, the majority of them, who know how a radio programme operates. Like, it's just... The no explanation. Well, that would be a first round here, but, yeah, but, the, <laughs> but no explanation has been given as to what is the public benefit by having individuals who will d- dominate the decision as to who should be recommended, who know nothing about how courts operate or the characteristics required for uh, to be a judge. And finally, they talked during the week the government did about how each organ of government should have respect for each other. Under this proposal, they're telling the Chief Justice that she has to be a member of this new commission, but at the same time, she's not going to chair it. Like, could you imagine somebody in government saying to Leo Varadkar as Taoiseach, sorry Taoiseach, you're on this committee but you're not going to be the chair of it. It just shows extreme disrespect by the government for the judiciary. Francis Rowan, uh, you don't have skin in the game. You didn't serve in cabinet <coughs> with the former AG and you're not an opposition uh, from Bencher. Um, a couple of questions. First of all, did you think Michal Martin went too far or not? Um, I think the point that was made, uh, Jim has just made about the context of a sentence in, you know, needs, to be, needs to be seen. I think it was unfortunate it got into a name situation. My preference for these situations is to have a really good process. So you don't, you know, it's the process that makes, makes, the, makes the situation good and then you don't get into discussing the individual names that have come through the process. But I would share you know, the concern that, that the process was not, was far from ideal in this case. Would you go as far as say it was an endocrine stroke? I I'm not the politician at the table. I have no no idea of what the background or context to it. It did look unfortunate to have come at exactly the point it did at the point in time that it did come. And what's your assessment of the new process? Uh, obviously, 
there is a, a consensus that the present system is perhaps too political. Um, what do you make of Shane Ross's bill? My, I'm not, I'm not up to speed on the detail of Shane okay. Ross's bill, but just let me make a couple of points. One is that the idea of after the the, the event in the early 1990s, which led to the, the setting up of the the advisory committee, in the early days they did a listing of the number of people to send forward for consideration by government over a period of time that was watered down. They sent more and more and more names. So I think where we got to was actually not a very good place. I think it is time to have a new new bill. Um, just to take up on Jim's point, I think the cost of the Quango piece is is probably uh, overstated. I mean, you know, if you've got a good system, that 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 it's, it's a small cost in the total of having a good legal system and one that everybody has huge confidence in. So I wouldn't be as wouldn't be worried about that. I think the lay membership thing is really vital. Now, whether it's a lay majority or not, I wouldn't necessarily. Um, uh, hang my hang, hang you know hang 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 the whole system on, but a very very strong uh, lay majority is a very very good idea, uh, because I think when professions just talk to each other, they talk in an inward kind of way, and we know that there's we, we know this idea of, of 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 sort of groupthink and of actually not seeing things the way other people do. So having that external piece, and there are many people who know a lot about the courts who are not in fact lawyers. I mean, people are in and out of the courts on a regular basis, whether they're social workers or they're business people or whatever. So there are people who have more more experience than maybe is, is taken into account. And what, what about the other point? Here we had Susan Denham come out and say, oh, sort of, tut tut. And then we had Peter Kelly saying, oh, kind of, how dare you speak about the judiciary? I mean, like, I expected Jim and Alex as, as paid up members of the legal profession to say, oh, this is awful. But when I think about it, the boss of the HSE, the boss of the ESB, the Taoiseach, uh, even the Garda Commissioner. We live in a democracy. We live in a time of free expression and free speech. And if I or anyone else wants to use the airwaves or the print media to say, I think so-and-so ain't the best person for that job, or I think that a judge uh, is open to scrutiny, they have enormous power. They're only accountable to higher courts. There is a veil of secrecy about the way they're appointed by any cabinet, surely they're fair game such as anyone else in society or do you go with this separation to the point of absolute deference to judges. No, I think I think I think I think we I think I hope we're past that point actually that people have moved on and I'm not sure the context of what the remarks from Peter Kelly's speech were that came into the into the public domain. It's an unusual thing to have happen in the first case. But I do think that professions have to get real and realize that others involved in their appointments are are appropriate. When I went for the head of the SRI, there was business people on it, there mm. were there were civil servants on it, there were some academics, there were several people from outside Ireland on it to make sure that I stood up to, to the, the appropriate rel- rel- relevant standards. We can so, attack academics. We can attack the lot of them. Uh, you can attack, the point is, the point is we just need attack, a process. You can attack judges, judges as well. Oh, can you? Yeah. yeah. You look at their judgments. If you think here, their judgments, here, I didn't know if you think their judgments are rubbish, you can say, I think that judgment is rubbish. In fact, they're over, they can be overturned. So not only are they publicly criticised or privately criticised, they're also publicly criticised. But like, I think the point you're making, the people should be entitled to criticise judgments. Mm. But when you look at the, the newspaper today, you see Minister Ross criticising uh, the President of the High Court because the President of the High Court expressed concern about the government's proposed legislation. Uh, that's an attempt by Minister Ross. No, to no but what Jean, Jean is saying, that Peter Kelly crossed the line of getting into the political arena, which he did. He said, oh, they're delaying this legislation, but they're fast-forwarding. He is getting into the political arena. So if he can get into the political arena, we can get into the judicial Sorry, one. I, th- I thought you said about a minute ago that people should be entitled to express their Absolutely. concerns. So that presumably applies to the President of the High Court, he can express So it's concerns. a free-for-all? 
Well, it is a free-for-all, except I'll tell you where it gets dangerous. It gets dangerous when a government decides it's going to attack to the ju- ju- judiciary. And there's a trend developing in certain countries around the world now where judges are fair game and they're attacked because of the positions they have. Look at the President Trump referring to so-called judges. Look at what happened in England when they were talking. You see the Daily Mail attacking the judges as the enemies of the, enemies people. Of the people. Look out in Hungary of other individuals out there who criticise them. That's where it gets dangerous, when government decides it's going to try to undermine the judiciary. And you believe in genuflection, do you? No, I don't believe in genuflection, and I do agree that there's an awful lot of, and that certainly historically, nonsense associated with both the legal profession and the judiciary, whether it's wigs and gowns or anything else that you care to, to mention. You know, there's the, the judicial uh, system and the legal profession has contributed itself to this notion of being a, a, a group apart and being, you know, separated out and so on. And that's a lot of issues about that. But what I think is going on here actually is something deeper. It may not be as bad as the enemies of the people point uh, that we saw in England, but it's a kind of a resentment and bordering on a vindictiveness, right, that some people have. And I, and I have to include Shane Ross in this, right, the sense that, you know, we have to get at these, we get them, we want to get them. Let's get these people. And how, what's the best way to do it? Well, we'll flood the committee with, you know, lots of lay people and exclude them from uh, a decision-making process, the judges, from a decision-making process as to who should be appointed as, uh, to, to the bench. And I think that's problematic. And I just make this point about the lay majority and Francis. What is the case for a lay majority? I don't understand what it is. I haven't seen it. Lay involvement, yes. A majority, I haven't seen the case. Somebody please tell me what well, that Francis, case is. Francis, you made that point. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think, I think a lay, I don't think it necessarily has to be a lay majority. That's what I said. And I, I think, but it has to have a very, very strong presence with, mm. with a, a and, and I would imagine, actually, if you have the right kind of people on this, you'll actually end up, when it comes to making decisions, with people crossing the two lines between lay and, lo, lay and non-lay. Yeah, that happens assume, in all sorts of... Don't assume that lawyers are all going to agree, by no, the way. Uh, precisely. And that's, you know, if you look Not at when the, there's a fact <laughs> the, medical, the, medical can, the Medical Council is a case right. in point where we brought on lay people and that changed the dynamic. My panel of Jim O'Callaghan, Alex White and Francis Ruan are still with me, but we're joined on the line now from Waterford by John Halligan, Independent TD, Independent Alliance TD for Waterford and uh, Minister for State for Training, Skills, Innovation, Research and Development. I just, you're welcome to the programme, John. Thanks, Ivan. Um, a pleasure. I'm reading this story on the front page of the Sunday Times. The government came close to collapsing last Sunday. There was a row between Shane Ross and Leo about fast-forwarding the ratification of Maura Whelan in the Oris on Monday. A seething Ross threatened to resign from the Cabinet after being told by Vredker at about 2.30 that Whelan's promotion from AGU to judge would be sealed the next day. John Halligan uh, was prepared to resign in solidarity, sources say. True or untrue, John? Well, first of all, um, the story is correct that I did speak to Shane Ross on a Sunday afternoon. He rang me to say that he had been informed uh, that uh, uh, the appointment was an appointment made in the Oris the next morning and uh, the seal of approval would be given. He found this unacceptable because, if you can recall, he had called for a review, which was to be discussed at Cabinet on Tuesday. Um, I, I can't speak for Shane, but I do know that he was angry. He was very angry because he spoke to me for about an hour on the phone. I, in turn, spoke to Simon Coveney and, um, because uh, Leo Varadkar, I believe, was out of the country. And uh, later on, I think si- uh, Shane did speak to Leo Varadkar and he spoke to Simon Coveney. Um, did I think uh, the government should have fallen on that? No, I don't. Um, I do think that there's a way through and a planned way through in the next couple of months when legislation for judges' appointment comes before the door. I think people like you and others, and rightly so maybe, would have castigated 
in America, what's happening right across Europe. And of course, the big issues we face here in Ireland, like homelessness, health issues and so on. So that's how it worked out. But on uh, the next Ivan. question, was there a threat of resignation? Uh, well, I, I, I think you better ask Shane that. I will say that if Shane Ross had have gone, um, I have great loyalty to him. He's very good to me. Um, I wouldn't have left him isolated. Okay, uh, that means yes. Uh, the, that's fine, okay. okay. Okay, that's okay. And you're a straight man. John, the other thing I want to talk to you about was you, at the time of the formation of the government, extracted a particular commitment vis-a-vis Art Keane and yes. the mobile cath lab. Now, the very sad circumstances yes. whereby local man Thomas Power lost his life in transit to Cork Hospital. Just, I, I thought this problem had been resolved in terms of there was an announcement in January whereby you heralded it as a big step forward, to use your words, um, in terms of negotiation. What is the story here about the cath lab? Well, I suppose, first of all, to say this, um, I think we first first of all have to again offer our condolences to Tom Power, who was taken ill on a, fr- uh, uh, on a Sunday. Uh, quite bluntly, that Tom Power and his family, I should say, that um, if he'd have been taken ill on a Friday morning instead of a su- Sunday, he would have received uh, what they call cardiac intervention at the University Hospital Waterford, which is about 10 minutes from his home. Uh, there was no cat lab on and there was no consultant, cardiovascular consultant on call, which meant he had to take uh, the trip to Cork. Now, we do not know that if he'd have had that intervention, if he would have survived, but he had the right to have that intervention. The point here is that Waterford is the only designated cardiac centre in the whole of Ireland, and it's a designated cardiac centre. Part of being a designated cardiovascular centre is that you have 24-7 service, and you have the second cat lab, uh, which primarily we don't have that. And uh, there was a report issued. Uh, I signed up to government on the basis that um, they would deliver this. They had asked me to have a report, an independent assessed report, which I agreed to by an eminent professor, Herity, which I do not criticise. Uh, but uh, the terms of reference, as we had laid out in the reports, the consultants in Waterford, myself and others, were not adhered to because there was interference, absolute interference in the HSE. As a matter of fact, Prime Time had come up with a letter, and so had I at the same time, a letter that was given to Professor Herity, more or less instructing him before he carried out the independent investigation that it didn't justify 24-hour service in Waterford based on the population. And very briefly, this is very important, this is not to do with Waterford, this is the South East. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen now is there's a mobile cat lab coming in September for five months. There will be another review, an independent review, with different terms of reference, which will take in all of the consultants and consultants in the southeast, uh, Wexford, Tipperary and Kilkenny, which were not taken in uh, in the first review. And are you satisfied with that? Um, Well, look, am I satisfied? I actually would like it to be delivered tomorrow, uh, but I don't think that anything can happen without another clinical review. I will be hoping that during the week we may be able to arrange in the meantime maybe a consultant to be on call 24-7, particularly weekends. But I believe, and I do firmly believe, if the second review is carried out with the proper terms of reference, that we will have the same right and we will deliver a second cat lab full-time and 24-7, like we have all over the country. John Halligan, a Minister, uh, Independent TD and Minister for Waterford and Independent Minister for Training and Skills. Thank you for that update in relation to the Coalition Survival and Art Keane. Now, uh, thank you. I want to turn uh, Jim O'Callaghan to uh, page 21 of today's Mail on Sunday. And Gary Murphy has a piece, Professor of Politics at DCU. It's Noreen's promotion, not Moira's, that could be 
uh, the undoing of Leo's new government. This row rumbles on, and the latest we've had during the week was the Public Accounts Committee uh, in relation to more non-answers, evasion and deferral and all the usual bluster about uh, fraud funds, the latest twist being GSOC's involvement about a new fund in Cabra. When will you reach a point in Fianna Fáil that enough is enough in terms of the sustainability of this commissioner? Well, you're obviously forgetting the fact that back on the 22nd of March, uh, the Gardaí announced that there were 937,000 false breath tests on the pulse system and there were 14,700 wrongful convictions. After that, we said there needs to be answers and accountability in respect of it. We didn't get it. On the 25th of March, we said we could no longer express confidence in the Garda Commissioner. That was our position. Since then, it remains our position. Our primary concern, however, is the impact all of these revelations are having having in public confidence in Angarda Siakana and also in the, the, the fact that members of Angarda Siakana out there on the beat day in, day out are being affected by all of these okay. constant revelations. And you said under questioning repeatedly that the, the firing of a commissioner is a matter for the government. We now have a new Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan. What's your advice to him, given your stated position as of March? What should he do about sacking replacing the Garda Commissioner. Well, all I can say, and I've said this before, if I was in Charlie Flanagan's position, and I've said this before, so there's nothing new about it, uh, I, as Minister for Justice, would advise the government that it's in the best interests of Angarda Siakana for the Garda Commissioner to be removed. I've said that before. It's not new. Okay. I've said it before. So, so given that we have a new government, essentially, in terms of personnel, when you hear uh, not Francis Fitzgerald, but Charles Flanagan and Leo saying they have full confidence in Noreen O'Sullivan, what are you going to do about that, given that you're propping them up? Well, listen, first of all, I can't change Leo Varadkar's mind or Charlie Flanagan's mind as to whether or not they have confidence in the Commissioner. If they say that, it means they must have uh, confidence in the Commissioner. I suppose implicitly it also must mean that they don't have confidence in the other individuals, such as the HR officials, the head of uh, legal who gave contradictory evidence to a certain extent uh, before the Public Accounts Committee. It's noteworthy that yesterday, however, that for the first time a government minister did come out and state that the Commissioner may have to resign. As I said, I don't want Who to is that? Uh, John Paul Phelan said it uh, on Claire Burns' okay. show yesterday. And that appears to be, I presume that was said deliberately. Maybe it signifies a change on the part of the government. But I've repeatedly said, and you know, you can criticise Fianna Fáil for this, it is a decision of government to make the decision as to whether or not to remove a commissioner or not. If the government, uh, or Fianna Fáil went to the government and said, you have to remove her, if you don't, we're withdrawing from the confidence and supply agreement. And if the government did it, the government would be acting unlawfully because there's only three grounds upon which a commissioner can be removed moved and it's set out in law. Um, you know, we're not going to participate okay. in unlawful activity. Uh, Alex, what's your political assessment of uh, Leo has come in, he inherited a lot of things from uh, Enda. He's on the countdown to looking for his own mandate sooner or later. He's going to have to fight the election. Um, what would you advise him to do about the Commissioner? Because it seems that he's, he's in no particular hurry to create a new direction from Enda Kenny's, like both in terms of his appointments to cabinet and to junior ministers, and in terms of this issue, which perhaps is the hottest political potato out there, it's kind of no change. Mm. Well, it's certainly festering, and you know there was more activity in the public accounts committee as I said during the week, and I'm not sure whether we were any the wiser at the end of the week than we were at the beginning of the week. Um, but none of it's good for the things. commissioner. 
None of it is good for the commissioner. None of it is good for the guards. As Jim said, none of it is good for public confidence in the ability of the guards to do the job. And I mean, the, the controversy that, that Jim mentioned over a couple of months ago are still there in people's minds. I mean, the idea, you know, that that could have happened over a period uh, whatever is, of years, I think is extraordinary for most people. And they are actually wondering about the guards and whether, you know... Um, you know, whether they're doing the job that we as a, as a community expect them to do. I, I'm not going to, I suppose, give advice to... I know Brendan Helen has made it clear well, that... Well, do you the, have confidence the, in Noreen or so? Well, I mean, I do in the sense that I have you to. You do and you don't. I have to, because like you, do you? I mean, do oh, I, I don't, no. Well, I mean, we have to in the sense that we have a we have a police force that we have to have confidence in and we have to trust the people who are at the top of it. Um, so for me, you know, an immediate a demand... You can demand somebody's resignation, have her replaced by somebody else. No, I believe in 2014 you should have appointed a complete outsider. I said so and wrote so at the time. Well, we had some discussion about that. You can't change it from within. Now, there was an argument about the security. But he also missed the opportunity to reform the Department of Justice into Home Affairs and Justice. Yeah, we thought at the time in good faith that with the new uh, policing authority that the Labour Party had insisted (laughs) on being put in place, that we'd have the basis for, that we would have the basis for reform and real reform. There's no sign of that yet. I mean, Noreen O'Sullivan... Like, what fir- we have is another commission under Kathleen O'Toole. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is after 17 reports, 400 recommendations. But does anybody know the answer to this? Sorry, it's all written down in Bob Olson's recommendations what to do. About three years ago, he did the best report ever into how to reform the Guardian. Implement that report. Absolutely. Well, I mean, Noreen O'Sullivan says that she is implementing the proposals that are there for reform. And I mean, I look, I find it hard to see how she can survive, to be honest with you, if you ask me just as a citizen observing it. Um, but I also have to ask myself, and I'm a bit conflicted on it, if she's replaced next week or next month by somebody else, what changes? Like all of the issues that they're trying to address will still have to be addressed. And I wonder whether taking out the person at the top is necessarily the answer or the only answer at the moment. I mean, scalps are political system at the moment and are, if I may say now, so, Rory media Quinn system. pretty good as a head on the place. Media system. Yeah, OK. Well, I'm not going to take. I'm not going to uh, stand Harry over Beelan, everything that everybody in my party has ever said. I'm not. I'm not like sort of Una Duce. I can criticise people, including those in my own party, if necessary. But the idea that you find in the media and in the political system at the moment that it's all about rendering scalps. Like, can we pull somebody down? Who's going no, to be no, the no. person? Can, who pulls I, can them I give you down? the flip side of that? I don't think we must start to do accountability. Well, we should like, do accountability. Nobody has taken responsibility for the breath test. I know. No, listen to the GRA. I listen to that. I agree no with that. Also, wasn't us gloves. I agree. So the, the book must stop somewhere. That. I agree with that. But the book must stop. Absolutely, the book has to stop. But you also have to have some guarantee that when somebody is removed or sacked, that the problem will be gone. And will it be gone? Francis, scalp or accountability? I think accountability is what it's about. I mean, I, I must say I found Gary Murphy's article interesting. Although he did talk about her being promoted, she was not promoted. She was appointed by a public open competition run on very highly professional terms. And there were... Um, Open to externals, it was it was it was not that. So the notion of calling a promotion as if it was a shoe in, I think, is absolutely completely incorrect. Um, but think about it. This is an organisation where virtually all staff members joined at the age of seventeen or eighteen from school, right? They joined on a, in a command and control system. So the reforming of something like that is extraordinarily difficult. And the notion that just changing and taking a scalp at the top would somehow or other change that, as, as Alex, Alex says, I agree with Alex completely, that's just not really sensible at all. I think where probably it would have been helpful would have been for an external advisory team to have been appointed to work with Noreen on it. Now, in effect, you could say the new commission will end up playing that particular role. But if you're trying to... Um, 
implement the various many reforms that are required, it does take a long time. It is not doable in a very short period of time. And the problem is we're getting caught up in a lot of the details that cannot be solved in a very short period of time. So I think there's a lack of realism, uh, both in, 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 in perhaps in the Doyle, but certainly in the media in relation to what you can possibly do. Having said that, I can see why everybody's concerned because of the potential loss of, of, of belief, if you like, in, in, in the force. But I don't think the issue is around taking another scalp. I don't think that's what it is around. I think it's around making sure that we have the implementation taking place. The problem is implementation details are extremely tedious, boring things, and they don't make for good media. Taking scalps makes for a big media. And I think that's probably I where we're at. I want to put Jim a text to you from Tony in County Louth. Jim O'Callaghan and Fianna Fáil Party are hiding behind that line for weeks now. Not only the government can do it, they are in fact an arm of government and a very strong one at that. And with 70% calling for this removal, it should be done without further delay. Surely t- Tony is echoing what ordinary people are saying. Well, he may be. Do- but walk the walk he's, instead he's, of talk the talk. He's not correct. We're not part of government. That's just factually correct. We're not part of government. The people who are responsible for appointing and removal a commissioner are the government. They're the only people that can do it and there are only specific grounds upon which it can be done. But just to get back to the issue about the county... But Jim, in the real world of politics, if your boss rang Leo and said, we're going to bring down the government unless you fire Noreen O'Sullivan, he would be bolt upright uh, with an electric shock through his system and would probably respond. Because he doesn't want an election. Ivan, do you remember there was a report written by Judge Fenley about the removal of a previous commissioner? Do you remember there was a commission of investigation in respect to that? The report was a very serious report and you guys discussed it all over the media about the significance of this report and the reason there was a commission of investigation into that was that there was a suggestion that the government had broken the law by the way that which they removed the commissioner and in fact the, the government's line was we didn't try to remove him he resigned voluntarily so that shows the importance of applying the law in respect to the issue if Michal Martin went uh, to uh, Leo Varadkar and said you have to get rid of the commissioner or we're pulling out you can be sure that the commissioner would sue you can be sure there'd be a commission of investigation you can be sure that the judge appointed to head up that commission of investigation would say she was unlawfully removed because she wasn't removed for one of the three grounds set out in section 11 and I'd be in here and you'd be saying to me you guys in Fianna Fáil facilitated the breach of the law get out so you can't have it every way but can I get back to a simpler point accountability or a scab. I don't like looking for scabs. But the reason why we said on the 25th of March that we couldn't express confidence is because there was a fairly simple issue. There were 937,000 false breath tests. You know, that's information that's contained within Garda Khan. It's not something that you have to go off to some third party to get the information about. Three months later, we still haven't been given an answer as to the reason for that. And I've my doubts. But does that, that not meet your three, three criteria? But, sorry, court, but it's the government. That's what I'm saying to you. It would, uh, the reason why we said we could no longer express confidence is because there weren't answers given by the Garda Commissioner in respect of the 937,000 breath tests and the 14,700 wrongful convictions. In our view, if we were in government, we would, in light of that, have said that we believe it's in the best interest of the Garda, of the Garda Chiacana for there to be a change. But we're not in government. At the end of the, of the operation, there is a point of common interest to both sides, where we gain by being able to exploit uh, global markets, where they gain by having a friendly and comfortable uh, ally, not an irritating member of the club. 
there's a lot of confusion around after the first week of negotiations between that man, David Davis, the UK Secretary for Brexit, uh, speaking on the Andrew Marr show on BBC this morning. Um, Francis, where are we now a year on? Because it did seem, in terms of Theresa May's offer on Thursday for the three million EU citizens in Britain, what rights they get, they kind of say, that's not enough anyway. Is Europe hardening its position? Where are we going? Well, can I just take back to that quote which you've, you've put in? Because what the suggestion is there, implicit in a lot of the UK's position from the, the pre-election, pre-referendum period, is the notion that somehow or other being a member of Europe has prevented them from exploiting global markets, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. True. Because if, in a way, Europe has managed to negotiate a lot of different trade agreements with other areas in the process of doing so on an ongoing Blue basis. skies on aviation and so on. And, it, and, and there's also, you know, you're, you're talking about over 500 million as a market versus 50 plus million as a market. So I think that there's, there's something there in the illusion of all the Brexit piece that I find extremely difficult to, 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 to get on top of. So in a way, what has happened is, it seems to me, is that Britain made a decision just over a year ago. And I think we could all remember where we were when we, <laughs> we realised Brexit was going to be a reality. Um, and it's all been on a kind of a high level. This is what we want to do. And the devil is in the detail in terms of what will happen for the UK in the future. And there's a sense in which I don't think the UK has shown any awareness yet of the extent to which it needs to have that detail out there uh, out front. And I'm not sure that the politicians have as yet engaged with the bureaucracy in terms of what it means. So it's all about statements. Brexit means Brexit. We'll get the best deal we can for and Britain, no deal is better than a, a bad deal because or whatever. A bad yeah. deal. And, and there's also the issue, which I think was that I think at a very early stage, Theresa May talked about doing what she could to, to, to help British business. So you say to British business, oh yes, and we're taking away your market of 500 million or thereabouts that is next door and we know from sort of you know, economic theory that, that there's a lot of trade is done on a gravity base. You trade a lot with locals. So there's a sense in which the reality check is only now I think as these negotiations are, is really only beginning to come. Dan O'Brien sets out today in the Sunday Independent mm-hmm. I think seven different outcomes and the probability percentage of each well, yeah. from EEA, the Norway solution to you know WTO solutions. Which one do you think like, you're involved with Nicola Sturgeon in terms of advising the Scots. Where would you put your money on, where this is going? So there's a couple of things. I mean, to me, a lot depends on what comes out over the next period of time. So let's roll back and think about one thing. What was the growth of the single market, which was about increased uh, services trade and increased mobility of people and standardisation? Who were the big beneficiaries of that? The small countries in Europe were the big beneficiaries. And I put Scotland in a small country like that. Ireland was a big beneficiary. Why? Because if you've, if you've common standards, it means a, a small and medium-sized enterprise here in Ireland can export anywhere in Europe to broadly similar standards. It doesn't have to go through the huge costs. Big companies can manage that. Small companies can't. So my feeling is that small countries and small companies are the people who are damaged by any reduction in the freedom, in, in the sort of economic freedoms that Europe, Europe has created. So I think Scotland would have similar issues for Ireland because it has a lot of small and medium-sized enterprises which must export because the local markets aren't, aren't, aren't big enough for them to, to, to sell in. So I, as, I, as I would see it, it, Dan takes the two, the, the two extremes. I think it could move further to the softer Brexit as the economic realities come into play to a greater extent. 
And I think that hasn't been fully appreciated yet. So he goes for about 10% um, at, at, at the left-hand side with, with the sort of, you know, no chance of leaving at all. I think that could yet happen. That could be higher. Well, right. That was the point I was going to pick up on. I think, I'll just go out on a bit of a limb, which I know you like us to do that. Yes. I think that the likelihood of no Brexit is much higher than 10%. I think that we've had an election. The entire British political system is convulsed by this. This is a catastrophic decision, according as, in my view, according as people see what it means, and more importantly, according as they see how their political leaders are incapable of interpreting it properly, including the British Labour Party, by the way, our sister, my sister party, in actually giving leadership as to how this would happen. It's all you slogans. You'd be a lot more new Labour, though, Blair. I well, even so, I mean, Corbyn had a great election. I'm delighted about that. But I think that it's not clear to me what the British Labour Party is actually saying so you're about going Brexit. On the limb to say it will be a second no referendum. Brexit. Another referendum, no Brexit, I think, is a much higher likelihood than people are okay. accountable. And that is because, but that will take time. That will be according as people see what it means for them, for their town, for their industry, for their employment, for their standards, for their health, all of the things that you want, that, you know, have grown up through Europe, including on the, so- the side of social Europe, which I'm very much for. I think that in the end, the, the, it's impossible, by the way, to predict. I mean, the, the leaders are utterly deluded. David Davis, I mean, Boris Johnson was actually quite interesting during the week when he ran out of road on a radio programme. I know that can happen to people. Mm. But it's, it's actually no, almost, almost, <laughs> emblem, it's almost <laughs> symptomatic of the running out of things okay. to say. They are not convincing. They are unconvincing. They are carrying on with okay. this insistence and I think that they'll rue it. And we'll rue it as well if it happens. We have a minute left. I'll let you run out of road, Jim. Okay, I won't run out of road. <laughs> I think what's happening is people in the UK are beginning to wake up to the consequences mm. of Brexit. They're beginning to realise what's actually going to happen if they get out of the single market and if they get out of the Customs Union. You know, I was listening on the radio yesterday, farmers down in Gloucester are now finding it difficult to get individuals in to pick the crops for them. So this idea that immigration has been bad for the UK, which is what really catapulted Brexit, is being proven to be wrong. And the, con- the reason for all this is because of really weak and poor political leadership, particularly in the Tory party uh, in Britain. That's what's got them here. You know, politics for people like Cameron and Johnson appears to be a game. And it's really catapulted the British people right to the edge of a precipice. I hope that there is going to be no Brexit. I don't know if that's going to be likely, though. Uh, Mrs May seems intent on pushing it on. But they need to somebody in England to provide strong political leadership. Hmm. You know, maybe Corbyn might do it. We She's a political prisoner at the moment. She's imprisoned by her own people. Indeed. And watch this space. My thanks to Jim O'Callaghan, Fianna Fáil's Justice Spokesperson and Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin Bay South. Alex White, who is now reinventing himself as a councillor on Dunleer Rathdown County Council, amongst other things. And my thanks to France Ruan, Honorary Professor of Economics at TCD and formerly of the ESRI. Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.